Hey readers, uh, welcome <laughs> to a special. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Should, I should not have working. tried something new. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to another episode <laughs> of Fantasy Book of the Month, a special episode this January uh, where we have uh, the honor of welcoming um, uh, an author whose book we we just looked at, which was uh, Ghost Talkers by uh, Mary Robinette. Kowal. Uh, Mary Robinette is the author of the Glamorous History series uh, and the Lady Astronaut series. She's president of the SFWA, part of the award-winning podcast Writing Excuses, and a four-time Hugo Award winner. Her short fiction appears in Uncanny, Tor.com, and Asimov's. Mary Robinette, a professional puppeteer, uh, hangs out somewhere in the mysterious Midwest. Uh, Welcome, Mary Robinette. Why, thank you very much. Although I actually uh, live in Tennessee. I used to live in the Midwest, but no longer do. Is that not the Midwest? No. No, no that's not. definitely the South. That's the South. Yes. You're upsetting all of the listeners. You're upsetting <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a, a Midwesterner. Start again. You're, uh, you're upsetting me, a Southerner. <laughs> you're upsetting me, a basic Canadian. <laughs> I, I'm on the West Coast, so I don't know where any of this stuff is. Well, to get a list of all the people that are currently upset with me, uh, please reach out to Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi, Dan. That's me. Hi. All, also with us is Nick. Howdy, howdy. Peter is here. Hello. And our old friend, Rachel. Welcome back. Hello. I'm, a, I'm an old friend now. When did I yeah. turn old? <laughs> she, she's our youngest friend. <laughs> oh, that's right. But that just makes it more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're primarily going to talk to uh, Mary Robinette about her book, Ghost Talkers, which we just had the pleasure of reading. I think I can quickly summarize the previous episode to say that we all very much enjoyed the book and uh, hopefully we have a lot of interesting questions to ask you. Um, so does anybody feel super strongly about going first? I would love to. Go for it. How do you pronounce Ginger's last name? Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant. Mm-hmm. We were totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can say I was definitely really far off. So I can say I, I can say I looked at it and said that's a string of words and ignored it. <laughs> I, that, that's the that convenience of reading. The, the, the way that I handle what I am reading. Um, as a narrator, I'll give you a trick. So if you ever run across an unfamiliar name in a book, as long as it's a real name, uh, there's a website called forvo.com. It's for voice actors, basically. Uh, and you can, they've got different people pronouncing names, so you can go in and have a listen. Uh, but I cool. picked the name because it is, um, it is a name that comes from the same language family as, like, Roosevelt, um, but is not Roosevelt. Oh, so it kind of gives it, like, the, the classier American mm-hmm. feel. Like yep. the Knickerbockers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely feels like the name of an heiress, so that's perfectly on on par, on target. On point. <laughs> on point, sure. Uh, I could say in fantasy books, I look at names and go, that's a name that is going to be this syllable in my brain. 
like in Starlight Archives, I pronounced Yazda's name, Jasta, for the first two books. And then I was like, there is no T in this name. Brain, you just looked at the first three letters and decided to fill in the list because you're lazy. <laughs> in this, in this, go ahead. I have to say that uh, from the, uh, the author slash narrator side again, uh, that the number of times that I, as a narrator, have reached out to an author to find out how a name is pronounced to discover that they don't know either. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Then like, what were they saying in their head? Uh, that is a syllable that <laughs> right. is exactly the same thing you do. <laughs> That's a collection of letters that looks nice on the page. I never have to say it out loud. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, the problem with words that don't have phonetic looking, it especially works for, like if people have dyslexia, it's really hard for them to pronounce it. So, oh, God. this yeah. all leads me and it makes me want to rant about a book that is simply the that has the worst names I've ever seen because they're all supposed to be American or English names that have been. Uh, that oh have yeah, de- I, I have ranted about this before, and I'm not going to repeat it. Partly because I've done it and partly because we have an honored guest and it would be a real digression. So don't do that with your names. <laughs> don't make them don't make them unreadable monstrosities. Yeah, just changing so, uh, the I spelling wonder, is not the trick. Yeah. What, so I you, wonder uh Ginger Mary is J I N J E R. That is correct. <laughs> that would be awful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's no ER actually because it's super modern. It's mm. J N J R. That's Ging. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So I I wonder, Mary Robinette, like when you're coming up with a character like Ginger, uh, how far into knowing who she is does her name get attached to her? That's an interesting question with this particular book because it's one of the very few things where the story began with a dream, and um, and and so I I had a sense of the character before I needed to know what her name was. Um, the dream is not a sorry. My cat is now in places that she should not be. So. Forgive me Uh-oh. for the uh, small cat digression. Hello. Did you think that was going to be an adventure? Yeah? Okay, good job. She's forgiven. Um, <laughs> she is not chewing on the microphone cable is what she's not doing now. Um, <laughs> Score. Uh, give her time. So um, so the, the dream was basically um, someone, Ginger, uh, and uh, someone who I, I later realized was Ben um, in evening dress and evening, you know, he was in a tuxedo. She was in an evening gown and uh, they were solving a mystery and and it involved needing to speak to ghosts. And that's kind of all of the dream that there was. It, it was just more of kind of the mood of getting to watch something that was very sort of a glittery noir kind of thing and and the fact that she was a medium that was that was kind of it but but I did have this very strong sense of this character um so I wrote a short story with her first and this uh the war uh was her backstory and mm. I 
was, you know, thinking, actually, there's there's a lot in her backstory that would be fun to unpack. And uh, and that, you know, that led me there. But as with short stories, you don't you don't you do much more of a sketch of your character than mm-hmm. than sitting down and doing an in-depth dive into exactly who she was. So I had to figure out some things uh, about her later. Like, the, the fact that she was American uh, was because at the time, I hadn't yet written the glamorous histories, um, I didn't feel confident sustaining mm-hmm. a, uh, a British character. And so I went with an American character because I felt like I could do that. And then I had to justify it later <laughs> mm-hmm. for the novels. Yeah, uh, so this kind of leads into my question about, like, why did you choose World War One instead of another war? Um, we had some theories in our episode, but we wanted to hear what you said. Sure. So some of it was because uh, of the short story that I started with, um, because that was uh, set it during, uh, you know, like the, the 20s. So it was it was after the war. But the when I started exploring it for the novel, the thing that struck me was the um, just the, the number of people who died. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was also a point at which spiritualism really took off because so many people had just completely unfinished business with their family and and also due to the way the they were calling up people during the First World War, they would um, in order to get people to to volunteer, they would say, and you'll be you'll be with your buddies. You'll go mm-hmm. to war and you'll be with your buddies, which meant that, like oh, towns right. would just mm-hmm. like none of their young men would come home, mm-hmm. you know, a, right. like an entire, entire platoon ju- disappears, and- right? And it's and it's all from one town, and so so everybody in this town, you know, in these towns would be going through this this kind of of mass grieving process, and uh, so that. That really gave me a, a lot of, um, you know, the the idea of collective grief, um, something that I, I really wanted to explore, and, and and then also the the spiritualism aspect of it, the the idea of speaking to ghosts, and uh, and and the idea of unfinished business. Yeah. Um... My dad told me about like the villages going because he he was he he used to be in the military. And I told him about the book. He was like, yeah, yeah. And he told me about all the the villages and when he went to visit like the Battle of Psalms and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading, I mean, in your book, reading about the the waves of people coming in through the the was it the spirit circles um, mm-hmm. and and thinking of it, I mean, that's just a thing that happened in war without the without the supernatural element but thinking of it as a cold-blooded tactic to overwhelm the the uh, information gathering arm was is just really impactful yeah it's not a question <laughs> no no it, and it it really was something like the um the, the research that I did for these was reading a lot of uh, first-person accounts from survivors, and particularly the, there's a, a book called *The Forgotten Voices of the Psalm*, which I, I highly recommend. It takes a 
bunch of first-person accounts and arranges them chronologically from uh, signing up through uh, through the when they get home. And when they talk about, they get to this section where they're talking about you know, going over the top for the first time, you know, going into battle in the psalm. And it's just account after account of people saying things along the lines of, you know, the first wave went over and I saw them all lie down and I was thought, that's a strange strategy. And then the second wave went over and I saw them lie down and I didn't understand oh, why. And then I went over and realized that it was because they were all being killed and I don't know why I was why I lived. Mm-hmm. And one person described it as like um, when you're you're uh, thrashing a field, you know, and you, you send the, the big combine over it and it just it mows all of the hay down. And then there's this mm-hmm. one stalk that's inexplicably standing. And he's like, I was that stalk. And it's oh just, yeah, yeah. It's just account after account like that. Uh, and it's, it is, um, you know, it's it's chilling when I, you know, I, I tried really hard to make it chilling in the novel, but when you're reading the accounts of people who, who lived it, it, it is, um, it's, it's, it was just, it was brutal. Did you have to space out your reading of that book? Like, I, I feel it might have been hard for me to read the whole thing straight through without taking breaks for yeah, sanity. If, if it had been a novel-length thing of just people talking about going over the top, absolutely. Um, there were lots of other things that they talked about. They talked about the, the being in the trenches and their feet being cold, and they talked about mm. food. Um, but the, the one that I actually, that in some ways... I, I don't know if it was more difficult, but one of the ones that really was um, extremely impactful on the novel, uh, besides the forgotten voices of the psalm, was a Diary of a Nurse at the Front. Oh, and yeah. um, oh, I can't remember her name now. Um, but she was a nurse at the front lines. And what's striking about it is that when she begins the diary and she's first there and she's talking about the noise and the horrors of it and the farther into the war she gets, the more she talks about the beautiful things around her uh, because she had become so inured to it. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, you you can take, if, if you aren't paying attention, you can think, oh, it was fine. She was going on picnics and going in, to officers' houses and going through gardens and there wasn't any real war going on. Except that then you realize when she talks about a train of soldiers arriving or, you know, the guns were particularly loud last night, that they'd never stopped, that she had just gotten used to it, mm-hmm. that it had become normal for her. And every now and then she would say something and you would realize how profoundly it was affecting her on a, a constant daily basis. So is that um I pulled it up here is that Diary of a War Nurse Diary uh, of a War Helen, Nurse yes that is yeah, by Helen Dorr Boylston yes I think yes yeah with with reading all of these very obviously dark accounts um I, I noticed that your book was at times very dark but at times also very lighthearted mm-hmm. 
and like did did you feel the the need to sort of lighten it up or did you think that was just sort of the nature of the material with there being paranormal side to it no actually i feel like it's the the nature of the um of, of war okay. uh and trauma that we make jokes and and like mm-hmm. it was all very dark material yes but there were also people cracking jokes about um i mean gallows humor you know mm-hmm. we we have mm-hmm. it for a reason there's a reason there's a term and so the the soldiers would talk about pranks that they would play um and they would you know the, the that diary that i was talking about she would talk about just enormous beauty that she would find like talk, there was a, a one day when she talked about the peonies being in bloom and and just how beautiful the light was through them um, she would talk about the the soldiers and the things that they would all do to try to cheer the soldiers up and the things that soldiers would do to cheer each other up. It, it's, you know, people don't stop being human when they're in a situation like this. And and without some something to break the tension that they will they will themselves crack. And so what we do is we we make jokes. We make jokes that seem inappropriate to someone who's not there, but mm. we make them. Uh, I, I'm going to slightly change the topic here because I was, I'm intensely curious about something, and but it's, it's very lighthearted instead of gross. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Is Lethbridge Stewart a reference? Please tell me yes, because my brain, I will feel stupid. No, if it's no. What Sorry, I missed the question. The character left Bridge Stewart. Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, so I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Did Did you see Tom Baker in there? No, mainly because I again I sometimes I skip over names when I'm oh, reading. I didn't. I didn't use his name. Um, oh. But uh, so all of my novels. Uh, have a Doctor Who cameo in them, and this one is no exception. So this one has two, technically, because there is uh, Lethbridge Stewart, and in the ca- Doctor Who canon, uh, Brigadier, uh, the, the 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 Lethbridge Stewart that we all know and love, uh, his grandfather served in the First World War in intelligence. So I was like, well, obviously. Um, <laughs> But also, when uh, Ginger is um, is a scene in which she's uh, she's she's trying to evade. Uh, I've forgotten my own characters' names. Um, she's trying she, to. She evades a lot of people. She evades a lot of people, but one of them she evades by getting on getting on a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a doctor mm-hmm. who uh, who has very curly hair and wears an absurdly long oh, scarf yeah. who helps oh. her. So yeah, the, yeah. Uh, well, she was evading the the cousin, wasn't she? Yes, yes, she was evading the cousin. Harry, um, I think I'm terrible with my own characters' names. I probably should <laughs> Reginald. have reviewed this book. <laughs> yeah, this is funnier. <laughs> it's it's a name. It's a sh- it's, you know. There's some letters on the page, and I don't know how to pronounce them. Yes, <laughs> it's an English, it like, uh, English name or something. <laughs> Very posh man name. Reginald. It is Reginald. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It is Reginald. 
That is correct. Yeah. So besides, good old Reggie. Good old. Yeah. Oh, that's where I'm getting Harry. It's the same syllable. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, besides those two references, there was also obviously Tol- Tolkien was referenced. Yeah. So he was there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was. I I know that he was at the Battle of the Somme. I know that that was his rank and uh, the job that he was doing. Whether or not he was in that particular trench on that particular day, don't know that. But. Uh, but also don't know that he was someplace else, so he could very easily have been there. It's an just it's an adorable inclusion, right? That. And so I, after after all this, and Ginger gets over Ben, she and J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien are going to get together, right? That's that's the sequel. <laughs> huh. You know, um, I encourage you to write that on AO3. I would read the heck out of it. There you I go. Mean, AO3 did win a, a Hugo. That's two, correct. Two, year, two years ago? Yes. Brain works now. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, were there any other um, little references in there that we may have not uh, not caught? Um, let's see. Uh... There's the, I would um, love for you to say no, that we caught all of them. Yeah, no, you you, you did so. 100% catch all of them. Uh, there's nothing else in there. there there's a, a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes reference in the uh, uh, Baritsu. Um, oh, Bartitsu, yeah. Bartitsu, I, yeah, Bartitsu. I, uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, there's yeah. A, a Holmesian reference there. Um, the knitting, uh, sending codes via knitting is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that actually happened during the war, um, but I think that's it in terms of major um, uh, pop culture references, like like the Doctor Who thing. <laughs> I, I love that all of your references were um, as faithful to reality or as faithful to the source material as possible. <laughs> like it's, it's not just. Way. Well, it's it's not just like throwing in a reference just to do it. Like you're you're actually making it in a way that is believable, either with to real life with Tolkien or to the the material with Doctor Who. Which I, I just think that extra step is uh, appreciated. Uh, thanks. So that is something that uh, comes out of my theater background because we had um, a couple of tours that I was on where. Uh, they were very long and and fraught for different reasons, and so we would do things to amuse each other in order to survive it. <laughs> and the rule was that you could never m- make the kids feel like they were missing something. So it's like mm-hmm. you can you can put in a joke to amuse each other as long as the story continues forward. It's the same story, and the kids don't feel like like there's something that they're missing out on. So I do the same thing with my novels that I will put things in to amuse myself and mm-hmm. and you know like if you have to know Doctor Who to appreciate that scene then I've done something wrong. Right. Um if you know Doctor Who and you spot him and there's an additional layer of enjoyment that's fine. But but if you're like what why is this who huh? I think I think that's just the perfect target and it, it reminds me of uh the very best like kids cartoons mm-hmm. that appeal to both kids and adults 
that that have that are saying things to both of them at the same time without letting anyone feel like they missed something. Like yeah. Avatar: The Last Airbender is always my go-to example. Yeah. Um, Unsurprisingly, which, Sesame Street is mine. Weird. <laughs> weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, okay, I had a question that was just entirely just work a day. Um, if you can remember off the top of your head, how many words is the book? Have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I can open a manuscript and find out if you don't mind, but you'd have to edit out the, uh, the length of time while I go and find it. <laughs> no, I, I, I'll leave that up to the rest. I don't know that it's worth the time. It's a it's an element of curiosity to me, and uh, I don't know how many listeners might might wonder what word length turns into that length of novel. Yeah, I have no no idea at all. Um, Is that something that you pay attention to when you're writing at all? You know, I didn't. Uh, so mm, yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I do pay attention to make sure that I am meeting my contractual lengths because sometimes I will be writing something like, oh, this is going to come in real short. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, otherwise, not not so much. Uh, like, um, I have another novel, uh, The Relentless Moon, and that one I was like, oh, no, this is really long. Um <laughs> But but as long as they're you know they're they're in a kind of they're hitting in the the relative target range, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really. That's I, okay. I don't. No, I, I was also kind of curious for myself if I I might be have a heightened awareness of it because I got my start doing role playing game writing, uh, and all of that is highly specific. I need twenty five thousand words for this chapter you know, write that. If you write too many over, then you're just making work for me when I cut it out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so then when you are writing, then how do you measure, uh, how do you measure, I guess, success or, or how close you are to finishing or is it just sort of by feel or? So this novel was outlined and outlined very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Which is also part of why I don't really pay attention to the overall length because the outline tells me the the length that I'm heading towards. Um, but otherwise, the way I tell is that there's uh, even with the the ones that I have not um, outlined thoroughly, uh, there, there's still a structure to them. So um, I know where the story started. I generally know the uh, I often know what I want the last scene to look like. I, I, I knew when I started this what, what that very last scene was. Um, and, and so I know the, uh, the overall shape of the story. Usually where I'm a little fuzzy is somewhere in the, in the, uh, the, 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 some of the, the exact things that are going to go wrong. Um, there's a super spoilerific thing in um, uh, in in Ghost Talkers that is nowhere in my outline at all. Um, huh. Okay. Well, now I'm really curious what that is. I, uh, it, actually, I can I, I can tell wanna... you I can tell you this without spoiling it for anyone who has not read the book. 
um, uh, the entire Mrs. Richardson subplot is not in my outline at all. Mm. Oh, okay. Really? Like none of it is in there. She she well, does that not. A, that was a really nice inclusion. So she is not in there even as a character in my outline. And she. Oh my gosh, she's my favorite character. character. Right. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, have, by chance, have you seen, read or, wa- or like watched the Miss Fisher murder mystery? I love them so much. <laughs> I mean, okay, yes, I, just bought, yes, I, I have just seen them. The Why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> I just bought the, bought the box set after Netflix rudely took it off uh, Netflix. Yeah. Uh, uh, I feel like they would be friends. Yes. Cinder and Miss Fisher. Yes, I, I think so as well. Um, yeah. Since it just... Uh, Trivia, trivia side note, since we mentioned uh, AO3 earlier, um, I'm a big fan of Marie Brennan's uh, Lady Trent Diaries, and I did a mashup of Lady Trent and Franny Fisher, and that is on AO3. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you're writing fan fiction. I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Look, Look, here's here's the secret. Um, every novelist is writing fanfic. It's just that some of us admit it. <laughs> I mean, uh, after, if, if I get obsessed with a novel, I will think of one scene and repeat it over and over in my head because I'm not creative enough to figure out what comes after that one scene. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed in this one uh, is that the the magic i don't want to call it a system because i, I guess that's sort of my question mm-hmm. you know like in the glamorous histories it, it, uh, it felt like uh there was very clearly a magic system in place and obviously the science in the lady astronaut series feels top notch and extremely well researched uh for this one since it was much more spiritual like was there a system in place for for the ghosts? Yeah, uh, there was. Um, I, some of it, you know, they they are... There's stuff that they are not themselves completely certain about. Um, but, uh, but I did work out um, kind of the, the, the rough shape of uh, how ghosts... Um, how ghosts exist, how they interact with the world, what will cause a ghost, uh, you know, the, the more they uh, physically manifest, uh, the harder it is. Um, but I, I also have a book, um, it's, the title is something like uh, How to Improve Your Psychic Powers. It's from this period. And, uh, and it has all of the auras in the back of it and what they mean. And so I used those... Uh, when I was, anytime Ginger was looking at an aura or, or Ben was manifesting, hmm. um, so that there's, there's, there's a consistency there. Um, so yeah, I, I, it is, it's different as you say, than, than the glamorous histories, but it is definitely, um, there's definitely a system. I think one of the other things about, people is that we will humans are pattern seeking creatures so even something that is uh, ephemeral and um you know numinous that doesn't actually have a pattern we will find one so to (laughs) me 
especially something that where they're attempting to weaponize, uh, there's there's no way they wouldn't have come up with a system. That makes sense in the in the setting. Also, you know, they're they're trying to trying to weaponize this, or, or at least uh, cat- categorize mm-hmm. it, catalog it, I guess, in some way. And so, yeah, it does it does feel like. I, I, you know, especially like as Ben's time kind of runs out. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it's probably more to do with the well pace of the book uh, that, you know, it really felt like he was running out of time as we got to the end, you know? Yeah. I don't know if any of you have experienced um, someone in your life with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, I have. Yeah. yeah. Not since Last I was year. very, very young. Yeah. Uh, mine was much more recent. Yeah, I'm very sorry. It's a it's a bitch of a disease. Um my uh my uncle was um was going through this and one of the things that I remember right after he was diagnosed. Um I saw him and I'm like, "How are you?" and he's like, "I'm I'm old. Last month I wasn't old, but now I'm old." And he was still, you know, to my eye, completely unchanged. Um, there was, I was like, he, no, he doesn't have dementia. And uh, and that was true. And like, it, in terms of the interactions and everything, because he was very good at masking it, among other things. But what it felt like was, was a long period where you'd notice something was a little bit off and a little bit off. And then the decline was just, it just felt so fast. Like the bottom just fell mm. out, like his ability to, to cover and mask just, you know, as, as when he lost that, you realized how much he had been covering and masking up to that point. And so, so it, it just, it, it felt so much more rapid at the end than it did in the, the, the years leading up to that. Now that you describe that, I can see how that can lend inspiration to the to the characterization or the the and the the path that we see in the book. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I I wanted to ask, and maybe this is a hard. This might not be a, an easy question to answer. I don't know. Did you find it hard to walk the line of? suspicious versus innocent with key characters uh, at early in the book like i personally found the 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 traitor suspicious from the very first moment but i could never nail it down so hard that i was certain and that seems like the perfect balance to me so like did that was that hard yeah uh yes and and no and and i can tell you the point um uh, where you're, where you, you've probably said, oh, no, no, it's not him. Um, because I, I honestly tried to make you suspicious, uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then to have you go, oh, no, no, I was wrong. I was wrong. Okay. It's not him. She was trying to lead me down that way, but it's, you know, uh, and that's, uh, that's one of the train scenes. There's multiple train scenes. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like I can again say <laughs> that, but you know which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that was very effectively. Done. Yeah. And, uh, and and yeah, figuring out figuring out how to do that, how to mislead in the the right way. Um, I actually uh, took something from um, Agatha Christie, who who did not 
plot her murder mysteries. She just wrote them. Um, And what she said was that she she wrote them so that anyone could be guilty, that that multiple people had uh, motive and opportunity. And then she got to the end and decided who did it. (laughs) And so what I did... Uh, the, the page that I took from that was to to make sure that there were multiple people who had uh, motive and opportunity, mm-hmm. but also to have multiple people who had uh, reason to to not do that thing. Because like the the thing about um, uh, um, secret not secret agents um, double agents mm, yeah. is that uh, that they. You know they they do seem loyal. They you know, that's mm-hmm. that's their job. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So you had to cover their tracks too. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, I uh, I also I almost I I also appreciated your use of uh, uh, ciphers and codes in the text. I've read a couple books on those, and it was just really enjoyable to see them in the text. So that was fun. I totally did. I didn't use a book cipher to keep a book, uh, to secretly keep book library inventory as a kid. I watched the Discovery, either Discovery Channel and uh, History Channel before that went weird as a kid, as a lot. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Jumping back briefly to the the question of if there are any other uh, inside jokes, um, there's not in this one. I mean, probably, but uh, but in Relentless Moon, there's a, a scene where they're talking about ciphers, and my main character says uh, something like that she she knew a fellow once who um, who encoded everything in Middle English, and it was hmm. indecipherable, and she's she's talking about Ben. <laughs> That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this uh, book's launch that I was able to attend was maybe the most fun I've ever had at a book <laughs> launch where there was a bar and codes were, you know, there for us and post post. Actually, I still have the, uh, the telegraph oh, good. Uh, cards it's tucked into this book. Uh, and it also revealed to me that I would make the worst <laughs> secret agent of all time because I got to a point where the part of the code was you were supposed to go to the bartender and ask for a particular drink, I think. Uh, and then there was an additional code to work on on the napkin that your drink came on, and instead I just drank the drink and then went up my day. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound like a bad outcome, though. (laughs) No, yeah, it worked out for me. (laughs) Just let me know my career options were a little shorter than I might have thought. Right, the the CIA marked you off their list at that point. (laughs) He was so close. I'm still on some of the CIA's list. Oh, just not not the right ones. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm sure we're all on a CIA list somewhere. The Katie Intelligence Agency definitely has you all on a list. Oh, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she. Um, Katie is our resident um, uh, weird details note taker. Yeah, she has all our addresses. I certainly do. (laughs) Um, So I do have a question. Um, So did. I know that you do some puppetry. 
did any of that have any influence on like how the souls like kind of came out of the body or anything? Um, yes and no. Uh, like the, the puppetry definitely influences the way I write, um, and the way I think about things. The, the, the areas where Ginger is thinking about, um, like, uh, there's a couple of places where, where she and Ben are trying to manipulate something. Um, and, and and I think that those are places where I'm probably actually describing a puppetry experience uh, rather okay. than describing, you know, lockpicking or something. But, um, but most of the rest of it is in the way, uh, the, the way I describe the body language. Um, mm. and, and those movements that that's probably more of where it's happening. Okay. And then, um, at one point, okay, it's at the end. Um, <laughs> when Ben takes over Reginald's body and he kisses mm-hmm. Ginger goodbye, mm-hmm. uh, is Reginald catching feels at the end there? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he is. Yes! Um, yes! Yeah, yeah, I told yeah. you guys! I told you in the other podcast! Yes! Yeah. We bowed down to the honorable oh, Katie. No. We, gave her, yeah. we gave her a she was right. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Ha. Oh man! <laughs> now, now, are they are they his own feels, or are they just residual feels from Ben? I think it, well, that's an important question. Yeah, it it's. Um, I would say that it is. It is something that he himself would be confused about at that point. That makes um, sense. Yeah, he definitely struck me as confused. Yeah, yeah. That feels like only a half victory for Katie. Then <laughs> it's still a victory. <laughs> <laughs> She will still lord it over us in the future. <laughs> and we will Darn respect that. Darn <laughs> um, Mary Robinette, I was curious uh, why dedicate the book to your niece in this case? My niece is a nurse. Oh. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. 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 She is uh, uh, actually on the front lines with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Well, then. <laughs> front lines. Yeah. Fight. Yeah, yeah no, it counts. Fight. And then hopefully then she's in the front of the list to get a vaccine then. Yeah, she's a travel nurse. So um, the Seems last... Seems doubly is, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So she's uh, she just uh, rotated to California and is, um, is, is on the vaccination list. That was one of the, the things that they, they said when they invited her. To, to ah, come out. Well, that's good. Yeah. California, from what I hear, is in Real a bad. really hard spot right Real now. Real bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, then I think we will all wish her the very best. And <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I guess on a slightly different note here, you've obviously done a ton of research to make this book. Um, when writing, how do you determine like how much research is enough, and like is there such a thing as too Ooh. much? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a great question, and it's kind of a perennial question for writers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
the I think I, I research in layers. So the first thing I do is a kind of a really broad, shallow uh, scope of the the era that I'm working in, or the you know whatever it is. That gives me enough to sort of narrow my focus into writing a synopsis, which allows me to do more specific research, which gives me the outline. And then I then I start writing and I read in parallel while I'm writing. And um, usually it's uh, a lot of, again, first person accounts, things things that are related to what I'm writing, but I've got all of the stuff that directly affects the plot, um, that those things I've already kind of done the research on. Mm-hmm. So for me, what you need to know is um, stuff that's going to affect the plot. But all of the other stuff, the, the set dressing, uh, that's stuff that you can research as you go. There are times when you'll hit something that does affect the plot that you should have looked up ahead of time and, you know, and that'll stop you. But unless, unless it's keeping you from writing, then you, you've done enough research. And, uh, and, and in terms of is, is there too much research? Yeah, if it's keeping you from writing. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So it, it is this it is this line and everybody's brain is wired differently. Like some people need to know more than others. I'm pretty relaxed about, yeah, I'll figure that out. I'll fix it in post. Uh, again, I think because I come out of theater where I'm used to rehearsing where you don't have a set yet. So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure mm-hmm. out, you know, I can still get the emotions and then I can go back and, you know, be more specific about... Exactly. I, I do a lot of spare uh, of square brackets. You know, she came down the stairs in bracket fashionable gown bracket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. I don't know. It kind of sounds like this podcast. We'll make it sound nice at the end. We'll cut it so it sounds nice. <laughs> do we actually do that? <laughs> no, I try to. <laughs> I think we, the only thing we've cut is like when we accidentally say pertinent information about like somebody's address. Yes, I'm sorry. Gee, that was, again, <laughs> I didn't, one I didn't time tell you that. in like the first episode, and she never lets it I go. I didn't say you. I said that's the only time we cut things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I was okay. gonna, I was gonna make a point. Something like that. If you've seen, well, for what I've learned. In my experience in writing in the world of science, uh, persuasive writing is persuasive writing is persuasive writing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I was, re- I was looking at a YouTube where somebody was going through a law brief, and it was like, oh, that's how we write in STEM, where it's like, this this evidence equals this uh, analysis equals this conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I can do you have you seen that in, like in your field and stuff like that? Uh, I do. I think story structure is story structure. Having said yeah. that, there are uh, when you're talking about the way things are structured, um, there are some genres that are structure driven that have a very specific structure, uh, like romance. Oh, um, sure. And science fiction and fantasy uh, don't. They are aesthetically driven. Uh, it's all about mm-hmm. the way the world, you know, the world building, the, the magic system, uh, the, the science magic, whatever. But it's it's all about the world building. And then you can layer any aesthetic genre and any structure genre together. 
So that means that there are some things that have a specific set of beats. So this, as a, a, a war uh, mystery thriller, had a specific set of beats that it needed to hit. But all of the the atmospheric, the mood, the tone, uh, the world building, all of that comes from the science fiction and fantasy side. Yeah, uh, like if you read a good book that has like a fantasy book that has a good message but no world building, it's not going to be a pr- particularly good fantasy book. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You, I, I'm currently into historical mysteries. I blame Miss Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like, I'm reading the Gaslight Mysteries by Victoria Thompson. They all have a very specific structure, but yeah, you can. it's still enjoyable yeah. kind of thing. Have you read um, The Watchmaker of Filigree Street yet? No. My mom's trying to get me to read Maisie Dobbs first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also excellent. Yeah, I read the first book, but my library doesn't have the second book, mm. and I'm a, I'm a college student. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear that. I've checked all three libraries that I have access to. I'm like, I, oh, I have no access to this book. I guess I will wait. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the, the historical mysteries. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. In the unlikely event that you had to fight John Scalzi, who would win? I would. That's what I thought. <laughs> I figured the puppeteering would give you some real upper body strength. Yeah. Now... Uh, that said, um, Chrissy would then come and kick my ass, but... <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No hesitation, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the answer was pretty obvious, but I just... I mean, the only reason I thought it was worth asking is because I, I, I know he's been getting in shape lately, so I thought maybe, but no, not really, not really a question. Wait yeah. a second. So are we going to get... no? get a fight in the future? I thought we already had a fight in the future. Wait, what? What fight? You and Dan are going to have a fight, Peter. Why are we fighting? I think was it was it over Wheel of Time. Oh, we're going to fight be, over the Wheel of Time? There could be only one. Yeah. Oh, oh man. No, we're not going to read that. The Wheel of Time would be seconds. much better if there were only one. <laughs> uh, I, thought okay. a, I thought you were having a wrestling match. I hope not. His beard could pin me. Um... <laughs> Okay, I, so uh, Mary Robinette, are you a fan of Terry Pratchett's books? Yes. So, which one Small would you guns. recommend? To <laughs> excellent, no hesitation there either. Small gods. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good ones, but small gods. Okay, <laughs> great. Good to know. Is there any particular reason for that choice? Um, that you can say without spoiling it too yeah, much. Yeah, so I think it stands alone. Uh, That's true, yeah. Um, uh, uh, m- most of them do, right? But, yeah, but that yeah. one... But a lot of them tie into greater threads. Right. Um, and that one particularly stands stands alone particularly well. Um, I think it grapples with really interesting questions that are... Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is true of a lot of Pratchett, but, but that particular one, um, I think is something uh, that, especially right now, and I had, uh, it's been a while since I've reread it, but uh, especially right now, I think it it touches a lot on, um, you know, things that are applicable to today. When, uh, when a uh, 
cult of personality mm-hmm. kind of runs away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with with belief and fervor and yes. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like cult of personality was your polite word choice. What were you what were you trying not to say there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can we can edit it out if you don't want it said. No, no, it's it's really it's um it, it was not actually the polite word choice. It was it was me reaching for uh for what I meant. Um okay. I All mean right. maniacal oligarch uh <laughs> you know, church of the orange cheeto, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> All hell. Speaking of John Scalzi, I always remember I was at Gen Con in (laughs) Indianapolis, and I saw John Scalzi fight a Mike Pence lookalike in a lightsaber duel on stage, so (laughs) I'll always have that with me wherever I go. (laughs) The current... I will say, this is not the first time I've heard a politician being called a Orange Cheeto. I believe it's the second one because I heard it in high school by my calculus teacher. Huh. Call what's it? John something from Ohio. Uh, Orange John Howard Cheetah. Taft. What? Is it Taft? I don't know if that's. I, it's both something. Whatever the B. B guy. I think he's from Ohio. The thing about Cheetos is they come in bags and they're. <laughs> yeah, they're sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so. Um, I want to ask you about your this this sort of paranormal side of the story. Um, mm-hmm. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes, you do. Um, and I also believe in not ghosts simultaneously. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think that there are uh, things out there that uh, we cannot explain, um, and uh, and <laughs> also that the. <laughs> That the vast majority of things uh, that people think are ghosts are not ghosts. That they are um, faulty air conditioning, that they are uh, static on the line, and your brain has made a pattern into words. Um, the vast majority of, of hauntings and ghost situations, I think, are not um, the things that can be pretty easily debunked. Yeah, I think most of it is debunkable. And then, also, there are things that, you know, it's like, and how do you explain that one? Um, and and also, there are, um, I think, to a certain degree, you know, we, we talk about ghosts being made of memories in multiple cultures. Uh, if you've seen Coco... Uh, you know, the ghosts are, are people remembering you. And if you've ever, you know, like when, if, you, if you've if you lost someone and you spend time in the place that they used to be, um, your, your brain, at least, puts them back in that place. When my grandmother died, I was absolutely convinced that she was just taking a nap in the next room. And I knew she wasn't. But I could feel her there, and because that's that's where she would be, you know. So, so I think that we we can often craft our own ghosts. 
Um, and I mm. and I mm -hmm. think that we can take comfort from them. I don't think that they have to be a, a terrifying thing. I don't think that they have to be a tragic thing. Uh, if your brain offers you that comfort, I'm not going to tell you that ghosts don't exist. Well, I think that's a really great place to try and wrap us up. Unless, oh. Peter, did you want to ask your CIFO question? Oh, I have a couple more questions. <laughs> um, oh, okay. I don't know how much more time you have with us, Mary, or We're fine. do you need to jet out of here? We're okay. Okay. All right. I, uh, um, okay. I only have 15 more questions. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. Gosh. What? Look at that time. Oh, and hey, there's a cat. Oh, gotta go. Goodbye. Right. Oh, no. The cat's chewing on the cord again. Oh, no. Oh. Um, I was curious uh, if you had any feelings about Arecibo being retired. Oh, so sad. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was so upsetting. Like, mm -hmm. they absolutely made the right choice. And I'm so glad that they decided to retire it. You know, after that first cable went, they decided to shut things down. Right. Because when, when the rest of them, you know, that that second giant collapse, I'm just like, ugh. I mean, People, clearly it was time, but it's the end of an era. It really is. Like, right. I, I wish that the money had been there. I wish that they had continued to be able to do that, that research. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that no one was hurt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is there any, I mean, surely there is, but so I guess the question is what is, what is the kind of cutting edge research that you're aware of that really excites you right now that like, that you follow and, and try to pay attention to? Uh, <laughs> um, so it it kind of depends. Um, some of the things that I'm I've been really interested in are the the things that they're doing with um, with bandages uh, that oh shoot I can't remember the I don't remember any of the right words for this uh, but basically when you move it causes the bandaid to uh, or the mm. bandage to to generate an electric current which then in turn speeds healing. Um, and I think that's really, really? yeah, it's really interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, they, it, so it's a combination of two different fields of study, one of which has shown that when you apply low-level electric currents to wounds, that they heal faster. Um, and the, yeah, yeah, and, cool. and the other is um, this, you know, which again we've, we've known about for a while in a different context, that you can create cloth that will generate electric current. And so someone was like, well, what happens if you actually make the bandage out of that stuff? Mm -hmm. uh, and lo and behold, things feel, heal faster. Um, so I, that, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm so, so curious about uh, the, the long-term ramifications of that. Um, one of the other things that I'm very interested in is uh, deep brain stimulation in varying forms. Um, my mm -hmm. mom has a deep brain stimulator, which uh, helps with her Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's uh, they're using it for other things as well. Uh, uh, pain, um, depression. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, what else we learn about about that a lot of it is stuff that has been done to like the some of the pain stuff it's been done to such a small sample size and everybody's 
uh, pain experience is so different that it's it's harder to measure. But there's mm-hmm. some indication that if you can, um, if you, certain types of phantom limb pain, that if you can block it uh, oh, with direct pain, yeah. with direct stimulation to the brain, um, that you can actually not just stop the phantom pain in that moment, but that you can actually essentially cure it, which is That'd really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but again, it's it's so, so specific, and, and it's something they've been doing for decades, but um, such a small sample set that it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly. It, it's hard mm-hmm. to to quantify and really develop it it's because it, it's not really the kind of thing that you can you can no, you set can't up just a, test it too no easily. not so much not so much <laughs> no and you know you can't really get you know my pain is decreased from seven to one from mice and chimps right not in the same ways no whether or not testing on chimps is ethical is a different right. question um okay i think my last my last question that dan was alluding to um and uh if this puts you too much on the spot, then uh, then we can just skip it. But uh, so I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I am and I have been a role playing game writer, mm. um, and uh, I've worked on games. I don't know how familiar you are with role playing games in general, uh, but I've worked on really well known games like Vampire and Mage and Werewolf, as well as Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Cool. And that's all supernatural and fantasy uh, or potentially some science fiction. And uh, I, I have more than half a million published words in the, you know, professional role-playing game wow. uh, industry. And the standard, the industry standard for, for payment is five cents a word at the high end, which means no matter how much I've written, I won't qualify for a CIFWA membership. Right. Um, so, so I know I, I know where your question is going. Do you want to do you want to go ahead and finish the question, or do you no, no, start I, I think you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're actually uh, we have the um, the games committee is actually uh, assessing that now because we're aware that there there is a problem there. There's there, there's two aspects to it. One is um, making sure that there is a clear path for game writers to come in as associates. Um, the other is recognizing that the the standards of writing are different. And then the the third kind of factor is that one of the things that Sifwa has been able to do. Um, the the reason that the the minimum standard rate mm-hmm. in writing is is where it is is because we've we've pushed magazines to raise their rates. So right. um, so the hope is that we'll be able to do that with with games as well. And I'll, I'll tell you that there's a number of different solutions that uh, that the games committee is looking at uh, along with the board. Uh, the one that I am personally in favor of um and 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 we have not i'm I'm just gonna really draw a line under this is the thing i am personally in favor of and we haven't done the research on it um uh is to have a period of time in which the uh the rate at which games writers can join 
uh, is in the five cents a word range and and tell the industry, okay, and you have until X date to get uh, in line with the rest of um, the rest of, of the, the writing. Having said that, the other thing that I want to also really draw a line under is that when we say uh, eight cents a word or nine cents a word, mm-hmm. 10 cents a word, five cents a word, um, that when we say CIFWA minimum rates, uh, that I really need to, to stress that that is the minimum rate. It's like saying minimum wage. That is not a professional rate. Like, right. Because people were paying paid five cents a word during the Great Depression. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. It's the 21st century. I feel like we should be doing a little better there. So, um, so, and I want I want the same thing for for game writers. I want us to work for them and advocate for them, so that you're actually being paid, you know, what you're worth, which is more than five cents. Absolutely. Yeah. My my concern, uh, looking at the or listening to the way that. No, I'm saying the wrong thing over and over. Um, well, just my concern was that um, given that that tabletop role playing game writers are are such a, a niche and and aren't they aren't really lifted by the rising tide of of magazine rates or mm-hmm. uh, then it just, it, it, without without lowering temporarily perhaps an admission standard like you were describing is a possibility um then there was no way to get them on board and and basically have their voice in the organization um so to me what the your favored uh path though as you note it hasn't been researched that sounds really encouraging to me yeah Um, but uh, what i can tell you is that we are keenly aware of it uh uh, Monica Valatinelli, who's um, who's one of the the board members, has been mm-hmm. is really taking the lead on that, um, working with the the games committee. Uh, so uh, they're going to put a, together a report with with best practices and uh, and suggestions. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to that because we we do want uh, to make. You know, we we don't want to be excluding people who are obviously working professionally in the field. Right. Um, it's just figuring out how to yeah. okay. the, the metric by which to to quantify. You know, because we the thing the thing is that it has to be something. It, there has to be a metric, and it cannot be. Well, looks like they're professional to me. Right. <laughs> right. It has to be something that's not arbitrary and yeah. will still serve to help. Uh, you know, improve the lot of writers and not just not not help. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's a number of different paths, but but as I said, games committee is working on it. They're going to give us a report, and mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's something that I'm looking forward to and looking forward to to engaging with more members of the community to to find the right way to handle that. Well, wonderful. Now I'm looking forward to hearing more about it, too, in the future. And thank you very much for putting on your SIFWA president hat for me oh. without, without any warning. Uh, no, it's it's always right there around the corner. So. Oh, okay. It's Just a like lovely like the cat hat. and the cable. Thank you. <laughs> uh, any other questions for Mary? Uh, you know. I have one. Yeah, okay. I think well, we could go all day. Go ahead, Nick. Nick, go ahead. You sure? 
Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to, to just really quickly ask if you wanted to expand anything about um, narrating your own book. Um, so narrator Mary Robinette does not like <laughs> writer Mary Robinette. Uh, writer Mary Robinette was like oh this book is set in France I should definitely have French in this book (laughs) narrator Mary Robinette Uh, does not speak French at all I see (laughs) (laughs) so um, so there are times when I'm I get to a thing there was something Oh, I got to, there's a song in, in, uh, Ghost Talkers and I got to it. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I have no idea what the song sounds like. God damn it. And there's like four minutes of just me cursing and then we have to skip it and I have to go learn the song and then come back. There's a lot of stuff like that. Like, really? Really? This seems the... like a good idea? Why? <laughs> What's the resource that you use uh, as a narrator when when you don't know how to pronounce a whole song or or French? It's or called something? it's called YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that is that a French website? It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, YouTube. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> uh, YouTube, the teacher of the teacher of many, including teaching programming to me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, four of for words, uh, for in- individual words and, and names. Uh, YouTube for for songs, um, sometimes names, sometimes accents. I'll sit there and repeat things back to people. Then, do you feel confident in the end about how that song got recorded? Yes, but only because I have an amazing engineer, Andrew Twist. Mm. Um, he actually has he has an Emmy. He has a gold album. Um, and he's very good at stitching together multiple takes to make it sound mm. seamless. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with the French, um, and uh, it, it, when we have a foreign language that I do not speak, uh, which is most of them, um, we will record it in uh, in small batches. And fortunately for me, Andrew does speak French. So, oh, nice. uh, so I had for that one, um, Aliette Dubadard, uh, uh, did the, um, recorded a sample track for me. Um, mm. I think I actually had two different people record sample tracks for me. Um, do you want to it... say that name 10 more times and we can edit in the best one? No. She loves me and knows that I have mispronounced her name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, uh, let's see, Aliet de Bedard, I think. There's like. <laughs> They're all winners around here. We can't yeah. tell you you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. All I know about French is you have to speak more in your mouth when you're talking instead of deep in the back of your throat. So the secret when you are doing a French accent is uh, that you talk along very level and you go up at the end and then you talk along very level and you go up at the end and uh, <laughs> that is the basic secret. Repeat ad infinitum. Ah, uh, oui. Oui, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is also is, uh, much more forward in the, in the face. It is in the, in the nose. It is in front of the mouth. Um, 
they do not have the, uh, the um, how do you say, the uh, TH, so that is more of a, a za, da sound, and uh, these are some of the things that you are thinking about. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> 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 oh, how's your German? Schmetterling! <laughs> 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 uh, so, ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Uh, Wie toll. Ja, 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 in, in Schule. Uh, ich ich, uh, ich hab, hab, oh, golly. Uh, I learned, I took German in high school. Um, yeah. So, so German, I'm a little, that, that one I can, I, I can look at it and say it. And I'm fine. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Um, That's awesome. Uh, whether you know, Peter sounded like he was like, yeah. It sounded like you learned it in high school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, wow. Fair. fair. Way to put yeah. poison in my mouth, Dan. Sorry. I only know one German word, and that's how to say state and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the 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 ones that I can look at and say and don't have to go. I mean, I, I will still often go get a sample track just for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, are uh, German, Icelandic, and Italian. Those um, are all incredibly different. How did you <laughs> land on those? <laughs> uh, German in high school, Italian in high school, um, Icelandic. I lived there. Oh wow. Um. So, uh, weirdly, because of that, I am often the resource for other narrators where they're like, I have to do an Icelandic book. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Okay. Buckle up, buttercup. Um, uh, and, then, and then there are other things uh, where I've, I have hit them often enough that I can uh, – that I, I can – I know the sounds that I'm going to be required to make. Like – French, I can, um, you know, with with uh, with a demo track from someone else, I feel much safer. But French, I can I can fight my way through. Uh, Portuguese at this point, um, mm. uh, Spanish, I can fight my way through. Um, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the Portuguese one, I'm like I keep. Again, I keep writing characters who speak Portuguese. I'm like, why? Why do you do this? Because <laughs> Brazil. Because, por- because, because Brazil. Portugal is. Yeah. I don't know. I was gonna say because Portugal is awesome. It is also true. It is. Yeah. It is. It is a lovely language. Uh, Bengali. Also, um, I, I know. I, I took Bengali for, and Mandarin. So those again. I, I've got. Uh, I've I've got the 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 right mouth shapes for them when I need to do them, but That's I don't so like I don't actually speak them. Yeah, I was trying to think. I didn't steal Icelandic for one. When I do D and D, sometimes I just steal names. It's like I wanted to use bunny in a different language. Mm-hmm. It looks cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Finnish, but I'm, I, I was trying to think it was Icelandic or Finnish that I stole from. <laughs> they they yeah. are uh, both difficult. Yeah. I like that you don't shy well, away well, from it, though. Like, you know that future you is going to hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it is true, although I will say that when I got into, when I was writing uh, The Relentless Moon, there was a point at which I was going to have this entire conversation in Portuguese, and I was like, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> so there's, like, two sentences, 
And the rest of the time, it's like they said something very rapid in Portuguese that I did not understand. I'm like, that is the correct yes. way to handle that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you can't put subtitles in a book, you know? It doesn't really. Uh, that's what Google <laughs> that's Translate is. That's kind of is. what a book is. Shush. I was trying to make uh, a joke. Footnotes, maybe. You were trying, all right. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to burn down everyone in this podcast. Oh yeah, my god, Dan. Dan's so salty. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, if I didn't have audiobooks, I would die half the time. Same. Yeah, That's yeah. Fair. Rachel can't read. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh my god, that wasn't me. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's contagious, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can't read. I, I, can't, I got through the half of the Mazel series, I'm like, no, I must have audiobook for you. I cannot understand you. <laughs> All right, I think I think Katie had a question. Okay. And then, <laughs> yes. and then we can release you from this unrelenting torment. Oh, dear God. Yes. <laughs> I get the final question. Um, what was the best book you read last year? Ooh. Um... So, oh, there's so many. Uh. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna say that it was the beautiful ones by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Um, it is a gothic novel that is about a young woman who um, has to marry and wants to do magic and um, and it's really it, it feels like a gothic novel from the era it's it's really okay. good um, it did not come out last year they're, they're re-releasing it and uh, so I, I read it as, as part of that um, other books that are also notable from last year um, uh, would be um, uh, The Forever Sea, which comes out... I mean, I read it last year, but it is coming out this week, Tuesday. I think it's coming out tomorrow. Um, it's a debut novel by uh, Joshua Johnson. It's really good. Um, and that is... Uh, it imagines the... Um, kind of the Midwest prairies, but imagines uh, prairies as an ocean um, Mm -hmm. where you're sailing on a sea of grass. And so it's, you know, it's a sea of grass and pirates and coming of age and magic. And that's, does it, where, where specifically does it take place in the Midwest? Secondary world fantasy. It's not, it's not actually the Midwest. Um, it's, okay. it, it was inspired by the the prairies of the Midwest, just the way they seemed to go on and on and looked like an ocean in some ways. But it, it's oh. a secondary world fantasy. It's it's not it's not on Earth. It's not on an Earth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, clone or substitute. It's a completely right. different place. It's not a, a you know a near alternate Earth like no, no. Riv- mm-hmm. river river of teeth. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. nothing like that. Um. um uh, also very much enjoyed um, C.L. Polk's uh, The Midnight Bargain. Um, 
You asked for one. I'm about to give you a laundry list. Sorry about that. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. My library. Okay. That's okay. My library I'm taking notes the- so I can look them up. Yeah. Later. What was the first book um, you mentioned again? I'm sorry. The beautiful, beautiful ones. ones. Beautiful ones. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm Deep trying to take notes. better notes about the books we mentioned during the podcast because a listener requested it. Ah. Oh. Wow. Hey, really? we have listeners. We have listeners. <laughs> we do, believe it or not. And they're upset with me um, for not putting more things in the description. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mary Robinette. You didn't know you were getting on a podcast that sometimes doubts it has listeners. Um, uh, welcome. Welcome. I, uh, I feel like that is a rite of passage for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember. Sorry, I, I know. I promised that Katie's was the last question, but okay. I uh, I remembered uh, before we had our brief technical difficulties. I was about to ask: uh, Do you do you read text, or do you listen to audio books, or do you do both? Both. I do both. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the uh, the. It depends on opportunity and and mm-hmm. the the book too. Sometimes, yeah. Um, like I, I am very picky about narrators, um, and t- usually when I start a series in audio, I'm likely to want to continue it in audio mm-hmm. if it's a good narrator. Sure. But um, but sometimes also it's like I don't have an opportunity to listen to audiobooks, and I need to know what happens next, so I will switch over to reading. Are there uh, are there narrators who will cause you to to try a book? Because oh, yeah. they narrated it? Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, James Patrick Cronin is a fantastic narrator. Um, uh, sorry, my brain just was like, nope, you're not, I'm not going to give you any names of anyone <laughs> that has ever narrated anything ever again. Well, it's it's getting later over there where you are, so. Is it? I don't probably time usually keeps moving. I forget what Tennessee is. Eastern. It's east of me. That's all it's I know. South yeah. of me. So I heard. Sure well, it, it was in the Midwest. So. <laughs> That's correct. Oh. Um, Nashville is central, <laughs> uh, but I, I live in East Tennessee, which is oddly an Eastern time. <laughs> ah. Oh, so you're north of me and south of, south of uh, Nick, so you're probably in the middle. There you go. Thus endeth the geography lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us, Mary, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You've been a very excellent guest. Thank you. And uh, You did really well putting up with our and... shit. <laughs> 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 Thank yes. you so that... much for having me on. And honestly, it's really nice. I mean, this is the first time we've done this group interview kind of thing, and it's honestly, I think you were uh, you put it us put it on easy mode for us. <laughs> <laughs> you're you are all a pleasure to talk to collectively and individually. Oh, thank you. Aw, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, just want to remind people that you can find uh, Mary Robinette's books out in the wild. The most recent one being "The Relentless Moon." Is that right, Mary Robinette? That is correct. Uh, the latest in the Lady Astronaut series, which I've read three of those four, and they are all excellent. Uh, I'd also encourage you to check out Mary Robinette's Patreon at patreon.com slash Mary Robinette. And I specifically bring this up because recently you announced that uh, this year you're doing some interviews with some um, an amazing list of people. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm just going to run through this list really quick. I don't know if people will hear this in time to hit the first one up, which is Katie Mack. 
an excellent astrophysicist that I, uh, pretty sure I heard at a CIFRA conference, um, and, uh, a really interesting guest also, uh, Bobak for, for Dowski, for Dowski, nope, nope, nope. okay. Bobak (laughs) for Dowski. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, that's the February guest. And then March is the one that really got, got my heart moving, which is, uh, Martin P. Robinson, uh, the actor that portrays Mr. Snuffleupagus. <gasps> Uh, having just watched, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol where I'm in a extreme Muppet mode. Uh, so, you know, go to patreon.com slash Mary Robinette and sign up for that. Oh man. Cause, cause, cause my childhood Christmas ritual included watching the, the, uh, Sesame street. What was it? Uh, Christmas Eve on Sesame street from 1978 every year. So, yeah. And mine was watching the weird one where uh, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus go to the museum and and visit Egyptian God of Death. So <laughs> uh, we had different childhoods, is what I'm saying. All those links uh, will be in the description for you. <laughs> we believe you, Nick. I'm taking notes this time, guys. I'll, I'll show you the writing excuses spreadsheet at some point if if, if you would like to. to... <laughs> have a have a copy it's it's absolutely we, we uh we developed that after i joined and i joined in season six so <laughs> y'all are way ahead of the curve i mean we do have a spreadsheet but we just we didn't update it for a few months so that i took three hours to update everything uh what season is it on now the writers uh, writing excuses. writing excuses uh yes 15? writing excuses my goodness season 15 wow wow yeah dan has <laughs> well. has been with has is on several episodes uh in uh, several seasons in uh in the writing excuses uh cruise q a yeah you can hear me clapping in a lot of those <laughs> I think, I think you, don't you ask at least one question uh i think one of my questions was asked i don't think i audibly appear okay. on any of the episodes yeah <laughs> but that's also a trip i love our our writing excuses community is really great of alumni so uh i also encourage everyone to uh, participate in that if at all possible if you all at all love writing in any forms games in any any types sifo or non-sifo non-fiction regular fiction writing excuses has something for you so no, i don't really like and words. once you're in <laughs> once you're in the writing excuses alumni group is fantastic folks uh so yeah be sure to check that out mary thanks very much again uh have i missed any links anything else you want to hit up before we say no you all are fantastic this was uh this was a a lovely conversation you've made me laugh multiple times (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and i think i think they were all intentional too so that was (laughs) (laughs) all right uh well that does it for this episode of the fantasy book of the month Uh, which is going to happen twice this month. And uh, so listeners, just keep reading. 